Good morning. I don't know how many of you uh, watched the TV series occasionally. I mean, there's a lot of series out there, but one series that I really enjoyed, and it was amazingly suspenseful. And you probably, I don't know, Rachel, if you got it up there, anybody recognize the symbol or the PowerPoint may not be there today. Testing, testing, one, two, three. That's okay. That's all right. There it is. Ah. As soon as you see it, what do you think? Jack Bauer. That's right. Jack Bauer. Nothing can stop Jack Bauer, right? Season one. Okay, we missed like the first two episodes, and then I saw it was like, whoa, what was that? Who? I got to check this out. And we, and we started watching it. My wife and I, we like, it was like, oh, we got to see it. You guys, see what's going to happen? I couldn't, I went to bed at night sometimes. I couldn't sleep for an hour. Because something's going to happen. They're going to get him. And it's, it's suspenseful. Well, you know, I don't know how many of you watched the first season. But you knew something was wrong. There was a mole. You remember that? It's been a while now, some of you. Do you remember the mole? Her name was Nina Myers. At the very end... Of the first season, in the last episode, she was back in the closet, back where all the computerware was, and she was on the phone, and she, I can't remember what language she was speaking, but she was speaking to somebody, and you were like, it's Nina! No! She was Jack's partner and friend and, and, and confidant, and she was working with him when they were trying to stop Whatever was going to happen, it didn't matter. It was just going to happen. Do you know, in many ways, that happens very often, especially in the world. You don't know people that you really think you know. You get close to them and you think you know them. But sadly enough, many times they're not who you think they are. And it's not until something happens that you discover the true colors. Their true colors are revealed. You know, Jude was dealing with the same thing as he wrote this letter to believers. We have to realize that deception is going to occur And it ultimately will be discovered. The people's true colors will be revealed. They may not be as soon as we expect or as soon as we think or as soon as we want. But they will. And as Jude was writing to this group of believers, he wanted them to recognize there was something sinister going on in the churches, in the the small groups in the house churches where they were meeting, and he was greatly concerned about these deceivers that were coming in. We're going to look at the text here in just a moment, but before we do, let's pray and ask God's blessing upon the word today, that he will really help us to open our eyes to be as wise as serpents, but gentle as doves. Let's pray together. Father in heaven, Thank you for the word of God. 
Thank you for the spirit of the living God that changes us through the work of the word. Lord, even as we have sung this morning, I pray that you will work in our lives so that it not only changes us, but it changes what we see and what we seek. Your righteousness and your kingdom above all else. Lord, help us not to be deceived as Jude is writing to these believers. Help them and help us to be aware of the dangers that exist all around us in our society today. It's getting harder and harder to stand for truth when truth seems to be non-existent. Father, guide us in your word. Encourage us today. Humble our hearts. Help us to be learners today. To go out equipped and prepared, ready to contend for the faith. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. If you haven't already turned in your Bibles, please do open up your apps or the, there is a Bible in the pew in front of you and turn to Jude. Go to the end of the Bible, Revelation, back one book, Jude. Pastor Dan last week started the uh, through this three-message series called Contend. And Pastor Dan last week emphasized the need to contend for the faith. And the reason being is that there were false teachers that were creeping in. Look at verse 4. Pastor Dan, by the way, I would encourage you to, to tell Pastor Dan what a great job he did last week. He, uh, he really enjoyed being able to share last week. He and I were talking this week, and he, just, he was amazed at how much material there really is in four verses. And I said, yeah, I know, it, it's tough. There's so much you can learn. So the Bible is a treasure trove of, of uh, golden nuggets, and Dan enjoyed sharing those with you last week. But as he got to verse 4, here's what, uh, here's what Jude was saying. He said, First, For certain men have crept in unnoticed who long ago were marked out for this condemnation. Ungodly men who turn the grace of our God into lewdness and deny the only Lord God and our Lord Jesus Christ. You see, false teachers had crept in. They had come in, in in the stealth mode. They had flown in under the radar. They had come into this, these groups of believers and they were, they were denying, if you have your bulletin from last week and wanted to fill in the blanks and some of you were still having panic attacks from not being able to fill in those last three, I'll give them to you now. Or you could go online if you'd like to. Each week, Pastor Josh posts all the messages and the notes. They're online in the, uh, in the Wabasee Bible, but uh, you can go there as well. But Pastor Dan, was uh, he wanted to emphasize that these people denied God's authority, they denied God's word, and they denied God's son. And if you look at those in that text, you will see that, that the, God's authority as to who he is, they denied that. They rejected who God truly was. They made themselves God. They rejected his, his word. And ultimately, in doing so, you basically, doing so, you basically re- reject his son as well. Everything that Jude was telling them was happening. Jude was just praying that they would discover this quickly. And realize that the enemy, as Dan said last week, it's not the enemy outside these doors, but it's the enemy within that is the danger. It's not hard to see those that oppose us outside these doors. That's actually easy. Relatively easy. 
Because as a body of believers here at Wallace Bible, we hold firmly to this truth, to the Word of God, and so we stand firmly on it. And when someone opposes this truth, then they are, in a sense, the enemy. They are the agents of darkness. They are not of the kingdom of light. They are not going to be where we are going to be when we end up closing the lid or the Lord comes back to take us home. So Jude was warning them to be aware that these men had crept in. And as we look today at verses 5 through 15, I want to look and, and Jude goes on and expounds his warning here against apostasy which had developed within the church. It was arising within the church. Now, before we do jump into these verses, maybe you say, well, what is apostasy? Well, I, actually, there's a, uh, there's a set of drawings that was uh, very helpful when I was going through, I was doing a New Testament study, and I found this from uh, Ted Hildebrandt years ago at Grace. And one of the, one of the uh, pictures to help remember uh, in Galatians as well was uh, was a bowl of pasta, and uh, and it was a sea of pasta. It was a pasta sea. So, yeah, I know, that's exactly right. But you know what? You aren't going to forget it now, okay? Because that's the way you remember those things. And every time, and so when I came here, I was like, oh, a bowl, big bowl of pasta. It's a pasta sea. Well, a pasta sea is a little more than uh, rigatoni or uh, penny or linguine. Um, it actually comes from the Greek word apostasia. It's a transliteration of the same word. We get apostasy from our Greek word. And basically it means a total desertion or a falling, I'm sorry, let me start over, a falling away or renunciation of one's faith. Faith. And the dictionary, actually dictionary.com describes it as a total desertion or of departure from one's religion, principles, party, or a cause. In other, way, in other words, it's leaving what you hold to. It's, it's falling away from the faith. So what we hold to in the Word of God, if you hear of people falling away and, and rejecting those principles and those truths, it's apostasy. It's what we call false teachers. It's another name to describe them. So Judas, he was continuing on his letter in verse 5. He says, listen, these are the men that had crept in. He says, but I want, you to, remi- want to remind you, though you once knew this, that the Lord, having saved his people out of the land of Egypt afterwards, destroyed those who do not believe. And the angels who did not keep their proper domain, but left their own abode, he has reserved in everlasting chains under darkness for the judgment of the great day. Verse 7, as Sodom and Gomorrah and the cities around them in similar manner to these, having given themselves over to sexual immorality and going after strange flesh, are set forth as an example, suffering the vengeance of eternal fire Jude begins uh, this, at least in this passage here, he begins to write to his believers and he says, hey, I want you to, to make a note to yourself. I want you to make a note to yourself. Many of us do that. Hey, note to self, put it on our cell phones. And Jude was saying, take out your, your pad, make a note to yourself about past apostasies. I want, to, I want to remind you. I want you to remember things that happened. And he gives three examples here. First, it's the Israelites who left Egypt in, in verse 5. He says, I want to remind you, though you once knew this, you didn't forget it. You know this. I just want to bring it to your memory again. Hey, you remember when? He says that the Lord, having saved the people out of the land of Egypt, afterwards destroyed those who did not believe. 
Jude says, here's one example. It's those who left Egypt. You know, many people that left Egypt died in the wilderness. And you think about this. There were thousands. There were thousands who died in the wilderness after they left Egypt. You know why they died in the wilderness? Do you remember? What was the reason? Oh, come on. You know the story. Hebrews chapter 13 actually gives us an account of it. I'm sorry, Hebrews chapter 3. Look at the wrong. Hebrews chapter 3. Verses 16 and 17. I'll start in verse 16. For who, having heard... Rebelled? Indeed, was it not all who came out of Egypt, led by Moses? Now with whom he was angry for 40 years, was it not with those who sinned, whose corpses fell in the wilderness? Verse 18, and to whom he did swear that they would not enter his rest, but to those who did not obey. So we see that they could not enter in because of unbelief. It was unbelief. You're going to see later on in, in verse 16, we'll pick it up next week in that verse, but you will see the, the complaining and the grumbling when the people came out of Egypt. You know, it was wonderful we've been released from slavery. We've been, we've been taken out from under the oppression of Pharaoh. And they got out into the wilderness. And they began to, to grumble. They began to complain. They began to wonder, where are we going to get food? We're out here, you let us into the wilderness. And now you let us out here to die. And God says, I'm going to bring you manna. And, And they began to enjoy the manna. And just like most of us, after a while, manna burgers, but manna cake, manna hotcakes, You get tired of banana stuff. And manna got old. And then he gave them quail. And they got tired of the quail. You would think that they would learn. But they grumbled and they complained. How many of you remember the guy by the name of Keith Green? A lot of you are too young. Remember you guys? Yeah, it's us older ones. Back in the early 80s. Keith Green died. He died way before his time. He died in a plane crash. He was a prophet in many ways. He sang some radical music. And if you ever, if you want to go online today and pop on, just type in Keith Green and type in the song, So You Want to Go Back to Egypt. And it is a fun song because he talks about this. So you want to go back to Egypt where it's safe and secure. You know, and it's like, yeah, that's what the people were complaining about. They wanted to go back to oppression because they had leeks and onions and garlic and all the good stuff. But Jude makes it very clear that the Israelites who left Egypt, there were an example of apostasy. We'll look again, we'll look here in just a moment, really, at what happened. Verse 6, he, he mentions the, the demons, or angels, as he calls them, and the angels who do not keep their proper domain but left their own abode. He, they came down as well. They were apostates. They were, they were the ones who had rejected and and rebelled against God with Lucifer, 
were cast out. And these were ones apparently in Genesis chapter 6. We're not certain 100%. We can't say for certain. But it looks as if they actually inhabited man and cohabited with women and created it almost like a super race. Don't know for certain. Some commentators differ on that. But nevertheless, there was something that they did that God was not pleased with them. That they left their proper abode and came and, and caused problems. That God says, this is apostasy. This is leaving what you knew. This is rebellion. Verse 7, he goes on and he talks about Sodom and Gomorrah. And the cities around them in a similar manner to these. Again, Sodom and Gomorrah had given themselves over. Romans 1, we see the same description of unbelievers, that God gave them over to their desires. People led by their own desires rebelled against what God had defined as right. Does that sound familiar? In fact, Second Peter talks about the parallel that they're going to suffer in ashes and eternal fire. So we see the examples of apostasy, but look at the specific results of apostasy. Look at verse 5, 6, and 7 again. See, I want to remind you of the destruction of the Israelites in verse 5. I want to remind you, though, that you once knew this, that the Lord, having saved the people out of the land of Egypt afterwards, what's that word? Next word. Destroyed. What do you have? You have destroyed? Same thing? Any other versions? Yeah, God, God used the word destroyed. They perished. They died in the wilderness because of their unbelief. Remember when they sent out spies to go check out the land? What was the response when the men came back? Was it, oh yeah, we got this one. No. No, we can't. This is, this is, see how many... Fearful, fear, unbelief. They did not believe the God of the universe that had brought them across through the desert, out of slavery, to the land that he had promised them. They did not believe it. And now they doubted. And God brought about destruction. He destroyed those who did not believe. The angels as well, the demons as I call them as well, they were judged. The angels who did not keep their own proper abode, but left their own abode, has he has reserved in everlasting chains under darkness for the judgment of the great day. Literally, the condemnation. Second Peter chapter 2, verse 4. If you want to read a parallel passage, in fact, um, for your 110 groups this week, I've my notes uh, that I have for you, I would encourage you to take time to read both Second Peter 2 and Jude 5, or Jude, the book of Jude, I should say, from, the, from beginning to end. So read Second Peter 2 and Jude, and look at the comparison. There's an amazing comparison. Either Peter used Jude, or Jude used Peter, or they do say that there is a, an external book that maybe they, they reference. I don't think so. I think that each of them worked off of one another. But it's very similar, and you'll see Peter expounds a little bit. In Second Peter chapter 2, look at verse 4. For if God did not spare the angels who sinned, but cast them down to hell, 
or Tartarus, and delivered them into chains of darkness to be reserved for judgment. Peter expounds a little bit more on what Jude has just said, that they are going to be judged for what they have done. Well, not only the destruction of the Israelites and the judgment of the demons, but also Sodom and Gomorrah is also going to be judged. Look at verse 7, as Sodom and Gomorrah and the cities around them in a similar manner to these, having given given themselves over to sexual immorality and gone after strange flesh, are set forth as an example, suffering the vengeance of eternal fire. In other words, the execution of a sentence is what is being described here. Notice that Jude says that they are punished in eternal fire. Again, 2 Peter 2, verse 6 says, In turning the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah into ashes, condemned them to destruction, making them an example to those who would afterward live, would live ungodly. They turned them into ash. They became an ash heap. God does not take sin lightly. God does not take apostasy lightly. When we think of these examples, these three examples in 5, 6, and 7, I think about what happened. There were three things. Unbelief, rebellion, and immorality. And don't you know, if you think about this, this is the way that leads into apostasy, to moving away from the faith and away from the truth. When you think about it, isn't that normally the way it happens in life? Don't you start by doubting God? That you really doubt? Do you really believe that he has your best interest at hand? Do you really think that he cares enough about you when you suffer? Has he really provided everything you need When you look around, maybe you're struggling. See, that little seed of doubt, that little seed of unbelief just starts. Well, maybe, maybe just one look. Maybe just one, you fill in the blank, what's your vice? And and unbelief then begins to to, to form a sort of rebellion. Like, I'm going to do my own thing. You know, and you, maybe you wouldn't say this out loud. I doubt anybody would say this out loud. It's like, God, I got this one. I'm doing this myself. I really don't need you. I feel like you're not there anyway. And maybe some of you have gone through those thoughts. Maybe some of you are there today. And, and that next step then leads to what happened in the scriptures was immorality. That could be a wide range of sin. You see the path that leads? It, it, that's where it leads. That's where apostasy takes you. It takes you one step, one step, one step further and further away until you realize, how in the world did I get this far away from where I was? The truth, when you move the truth off center just slightly, just slightly, just slightly, and the truth keeps being, now this is the center, and now this is the center, and now this is the center. And when we really look at the truth and look how far away we are, we realize, wow, how did we get so far off center? It's because we took our eyes off of the Word of God. That's the apostasy. It's drifting. In fact, if you look, Second Peter or Second Timothy, I think I've got it up there today. Yeah, I, I jotted it down. Read this with me, okay? This is the message, the Message Bible. Does this sound familiar today? 
I know it's pretty loose, but it reminds me of 21st century. Don't be naive. There are difficult times ahead, Timothy. Paul tells Timothy, as the end approaches, people are going to be self-absorbed, money-hungry, self-promoting, stuck-up, profane, contemptuous of parents, crude, coarse, dog-eat-dog, unbending, slanderers, impossibly wild, savage, cynical, treacherous, ruthless, bloated windbags, addicted to lust, and allergic to God. They'll make a show of religion, but behind the scenes, they're animals. Stay clear of these people. How many of us have seen this? Is this happening today? I think so. It's very dangerous, isn't it? Looks great on the outside, but when you open it up and go, ugh. I used to work at Owens years and years and years ago. It was back when JB Furniture was Owens. That's how long it's been. And uh, we, when we stocked shelves, there were times when uh, one of the guys that was two aisles, I did cereal aisle, and uh, the, another guy did the pet food aisle a couple aisles over, and every once in a while I'd hear him go, ah. I'm like, Scott, are you okay? Yeah. I just, I grabbed a hold of a can and, and, and it was open. And there were maggots in it. Isn't that great? Hey, have you ever opened something that you thought, oh, this is going to be good? And you opened it up and went, ah. You know what? This is what's dangerous today. And Jude's telling us the same thing. Be careful. Because you know what? These people are coming into our churches carefully, stealthily. Subtly. Now, a lot of them we know. They're, they're out there. We hear them. They aren't really part of us. But be careful that we don't start seeing these things. Jude says, this is the world we live in. Well, that was what he lived in some 2,000 years ago. Not a whole lot's changed, has it? People's true colors are being revealed. Well, let's keep moving. Let's look at verses 8 through 15. This note to self number 2. Jude says, hey, make a second note. Don't only remember past apostasy, but remember, or at least be aware of current apostasy. Now he starts describing some character traits here of apostates, false teachers, and what they look like and what we need to be aware of. Look at verse 8. Likewise, also, these dreamers defile the flesh. We're going to stop there for a second. Defile the flesh. One of the first things that you're going to see in a character trait is their pleasure. You're going to see their pleasure. This is what they want. To defile means to contaminate, to cause to be morally filthy. Worked, at, worked with a guy at, um, at Madison years ago as well. I did a lot of things, by the way. Couldn't hold a job. You know, it's tough. No, actually, I enjoyed all the variety of things that I actually did, did do. I learned a lot through it. But uh, he was the plumber, and he mentioned that, uh, yeah, he mentioned that he had to, one time, he had to get down into a uh, septic tank. Yeah, you get the point, don't you? Morally filthy. Physically filthy. Where do we go? These are the dreamers. These are the, these are the apostates that become defiled. Because of their pleasures. And really it points back to Sodom and Gomorrah just a minute ago. That the desire is to go after the things that they want. Verse 4, same thing. Ungodly men who turn the grace of God into lewdness. Into, into a license to sin. In fact, I, I pulled up this week. I pulled up the Pew Research Center. Uh, support study for same-sex marriage and acceptance of homosexuality. I'm not going to read the whole article. I just pulled a couple of things out of it. But uh, 
As many of you know, nearly a year ago, the U.S. Supreme Court issued an unprecedented, and this was not written, I think it was just last year. Anyway, nearly a year ago, U.S. Supreme Court issued an unprecedented ruling that determined same-sex couples had a constitutional right to marry, a decision that legalized same-sex marriage throughout the country. While the public's attitude toward gay marriage remains unchanged from a year ago, they have changed dramatically over the past two decades. And they go on to explain a little bit about this. But one of the paragraphs that I wrote, it says, Now, just over half of Americans, 55%, say they favor allowing gays and lesbians to marry legally, while 37% remain opposed, according to the, the Pew Research Center's March poll. A decade ago, that balance of opinion was reversed. 55 were opposed. You see the difference? See what's changing? It's flip-flopped, that 55% actually approve of it now. From the religious landscape, that was just, that's just in general in America. From the religious landscape, Protestants all over are more likely than they were 10 years ago to say homosexuality should be accepted by society. 52% now say versus 38% then. 52, that's half. One out of every two. However, Protestant groups continue to have a different, different views on that issue. Among white evangelical Protestants, a third, 34%, say homosexuality should be accepted by a society, uh, a share that has increased 12% from 2006. So as what I would say our church is, is pretty much white evangelical Protestants, at least it is still low uh, from that perspective. But you see what's happening? Do you see how it's infiltrating the church even? Now, I'm not opposed to loving the, the, gay, the gay people, gay lifestyle, and saying, I love you, but I can't accept it, okay? There's a big difference. We can't say it's okay. We have to stand firm on what the Word of God says. We love you, but God's Word makes it very clear, the standard for marriage out of Genesis. So, when you realize this, little by little, it's, we're being drawn off-center, and so the truth now, the center is clear over here. And little by little, we lose more and more of the truth because we're gradually accepting. We're drifting. And you know why? What it comes from? Our pleasures. It comes from our pleasures. When we let down our guard, Satan works his way in. And apostasy begins to work its way in. That's the danger when it comes to allowing apostates into your church to begin to teach and to affect and infiltrate. So that's, again, look at verse 8. That's their pleasure. The second part of verse 8 says, not only do they defile the flesh, they reject authority. In other words, it's their rebellion. There is true rebellion in these individuals. Now, we're not certain here what... Uh, what Jude was writing about, he says, they reject authority and they speak evil of dignitaries. He says in verse 9, yet Michael the archangel in contending with the devil, when he disputed about the body of Moses, dared not bring against him a reviling accusation, but said, the Lord rebuke you. Again, not certain as to who he was talking about here, if it was actually angelic powers, which it likely was because he uses the illustration of Michael and the devil, but it could have been against... Uh, Leadership in the church. They speak evil against dignitaries. You see their rebellion and you see their scorn. When, when people 
This is a dangerous thing, folks. Listen. When the church starts speaking evil of its leadership, we're going to de- we're getting on a slippery path, a dangerous road. There's one thing to disagree and to be willing to talk about it. But when there is an area where we begin to criticize and actively stir up trouble with lead, in the, uh, against the leadership, then we've got an issue. That's a dangerous thing. And I've seen it in churches. I've seen it destroy churches. And that's where apostasy begins. That's where, that's where the danger takes place. And Jude says, listen, beware, beware. These dreamers defile the flesh, reject authority, and speak evil of dignitaries. Beware. I want to take a side note, too, for just a moment. You know, maybe it was leadership that uh, Jude was talking about, that these apostates were, were taking a stab at leadership. But it could also have been about angels and spiritual warfare. I want to, just for a moment, I want to mention something. We live in a world now where supernatural is everywhere. It's on TV. We pretend to see demons and, and angels and everything like that. Lucifer is one of the shows now that's out there. there there's Supernatural has been on for 10 plus years. Um, it, it's out there. Don't think that what you see is what's really accurate. Okay? Satan is an angel of light. He masquerades around. He doesn't masquerade around as a pitchfork and, and, and horns and the, the picture ways we've always seen him. And he's not something that doesn't exist. It's just, well, we just have evil. We don't believe in Satan. But in reality, he is a deceiver. He is one who is going to try to deceive you. And he wants you to think less of him because when we do, we make ourselves vulnerable. And that's where I say when we go in, when we have, there's spiritual warfare that's going on out there. I mean, and I'm sure you all face, some of you have faced it. You face it. You know it. But don't be so arrogant as to think that you can say, get behind me, Satan. Not even Michael, the archangel, reviled against Satan, Jude says. But he said, the Lord rebuke you. Don't think that you are so arrogant and strong that you can just cast out a demon. Not like we do that every day anyway. Or to think that it's not going to affect me, whatever it is. Because you are being lured in, and that's exactly what Satan wants you to believe, is you're stronger than you really think you are. Because when he gets you, he'll hook you, and he'll drag you down faster than you can blink. Jude says, beware, beware. Current apostates are the ones that are going to come after you. He says, these false teachers were immoral, insubordinate, and and irreverent. In other words, Jude pretty much didn't need to say anything else about, their, uh, about them for, to these believers from, the, from basically following these people. He said, no, you don't need to. But at the same thing, he continued to address their character traits. And he also tied them to past failures. Look at, look at what else he compared them to in verse 11. He says, woe to them, for they have gone the way of Cain. They have run greedily in the era of Balaam for profit and perished in the rebellion of Korah. He uses three examples from the past. 
Genesis chapter 4, selfishly Cain was focused on his own works and he killed his brother. See where it leads? When you don't trust God, when you walk away from his plan, there is no limits to our depth of depravity. Balaam, if you go back, you can look at Numbers chapter 22 to 24. Greed was his issue. Again, I'm not going to spend time to go back and look at all of these examples, but Jude says, hey, let me, I'm just reminding you, past failures of Korah, Numbers chapter 16. It was a pride and rebellion against Moses, against leadership again. Jude references. And the word that he uses in how they were, how they were punished is that they perished. It, it was a completed action. It's done. Their destruction is sure. Don't follow these men, Jude says. Be aware of these false teachers. Know that they are creeping in under our radar. They could be anywhere within us at any time. We have to be aware. Tim Challies is a uh, a blogger, and uh, I was looking up a couple things about uh, false teachers today, and and he had some really good. Examples here. Because we often ask ourselves, who do we follow? Now, we're not going to, I'm telling you, you're not going to go out and and follow an apostate. If you know who they are and you see them and we know they're out there, you're going to say, well, of course I'm not going to believe that. But let me give you, I believe it is seven here, seven false teachers in the church today that he gives as descriptive terms And some of these we may recognize, some of these we may not. The first one up there is the heretic. And again, if you you want to go online and look at this, uh, you can just type in seven false teachers in the church today, chalice, and it'll come up. Um, Don't do that right now while I'm preaching, though. Because you'll get ahead of me. Wait till I get done, then you can look. The first one is the heretic. And again, he's got a lot of descriptive. But I just drew one one phrase out of uh, each one of these. Uh, one of these false teachers. The heretic is the person who teaches what blatantly contradicts an essential teaching of the Christian faith. Okay? So if, if anybody came in here and said, Jesus really wasn't virgin born, um, are we going to open hand, closed hand? Yeah, I'm going to die on that one. I'm sorry, but that's one hill I'm going to take at all costs. I love you, but you're wrong. Okay? That's the heretic. Those are pretty easy to spot, typically. However, however, the farther we go into the 21st century, the older we get, and the more relaxed Christianity becomes and the churches become to accepting things that didn't used to be acceptable because now they're not called sin anymore, the easier it'll be for a heretic to come in and subtly change the doctrines of our faith. Second is the charlatan. 
The charlatan is only interested in the Christian faith to the extent that he can fill his wallet. Now, you know those, you, you recognize those. There's some on TV. Uh, I'm, I'm, I'm going to tell you, Mike Murdoch. If you watch Mike Murdoch, have you ever seen him? I haven't seen him recently, actually. But it's always about the seed. Send me the seed money and you'll get more. And, and it's about the money. Okay? So beware of these type of people. The prophet. The prophet claims to be gifted by God to speak fresh revelation outside of Scripture. New authoritative words of prediction, teaching, rebuke, or encouragement. Now, I'm a, I'm a biblicist, okay? I'm, I stand on the word of God that all 66 books are what we have, the end, period. There is no new revelation coming out. There's no papal authority to sit on the holy throne and listen and hear new words of revelation that now for our, for our generation today is given by God. I don't hold to that. I think we have everything we need. I know we have everything we need. I don't have to think. I know we have everything we need in the 66 books that we have. Ergo, the canon, the measuring stick, the the guidelines that we go by. There are no other books that help to, uh, to add supplement to this book. It is all I need. The danger is that we are hearing today is like, well, you know, God led me in this way and I have seen a new revelation. And this is what I believe we need to hear today. This isn't really what Jesus meant. You may hear it by people say that the Bible doesn't, isn't the word of God, but the Bible, Bible only contains the word of God. Think about that. If the Bible is not the word of God, but contains the word of God, then how do you know what is and what isn't? So you begin to think apologetically, as Dan even shared last week. To defend the faith, earnestly contend for the faith. If you don't know the faith to begin with, how are you going to know whether you're even following a false doctrine? That's my question. That's where we need to be shored up. We need to stand firm on the faith. So beware of prophets that come in. The abuser. The abuser uses his position of leadership to take advantage of other people. Again, I think, I'm very thankful for our leadership. I don't see that happening. I don't, and I don't see that would ever happen. I praise God for our leadership. Humble men. I'm very thankful. The divider. The divider uses false doctrine to disrupt or destroy a church. He gleefully divides brothers from brothers and sisters from sisters. It's the weasel. It's the one that comes in and drives a wedge in subtly. It's subtle. But it's apostasy. It's false teaching that will begin to cause problems in the church. Beware And lovingly say, enough. That has to stop. The tickler. This is a really dangerous one. The tickler is the false teacher who cares nothing for what God wants and everything for what men want. He is the man pleaser rather than the God pleaser. These are the ones that that Paul talks about that uh, people want to have their ears tickled. They want to be, and we'll talk about that next week as well. But they're the ones that just, just the itchy ears. Just tell me what you want to hear. It's kind of like... I love, I love going to some of your houses. Um, I think uh, your dog, Mike, um, help me out. Uh, Riley. Riley. Yeah, Riley likes to have a, have, you know, rub behind his ears and rub his belly. It's kind of the same, kind of the same concept. You rub my belly and I'm like, tell me anything you want. I'm fine. I'm good. <laughs> those, are the, those are the ticklers. Yeah, you know, you know what I'm talking about. 
Yeah, you get in, you get in that mode of euphoria. Like, ah, that's good. <laughs> I feel good. Tell me anything. My, guys, you know what it's like when you first fell in love with your wife. Yeah, I want to I wanna build a mansion. Sure, honey, whatever. <laughs> yeah, you're getting your ears tickled. Now, how's that going for you? Yeah. Anyway, spectator. Or the speculator, excuse me, speculator. The speculator tosses aside the bulk of the Bible's content and the weight of the Bible's emphasis in order to obsess about matters that are trivial or novel. You know, it's moving away from what's important to what's trivial and novel that we just kind of, and it could be, you know, the emerging church movement was big into that. Um, They wanted to do everything weird and and off the wall and take down crosses because it may offend somebody. I'm I'm sorry, but the, the cross is an offense because it is what Jesus died on for us. If you are a believer. So, yeah, it's going to offend people. It's like, oh, I don't want to see it. We'd stop talking about sin because it might offend somebody. It's no longer sin. It's a lifestyle. Or it's just your perspective. So it's okay. No, it's not. It's not okay. But then because I say no, I don't agree with you, then the new tolerance says you're a bigot, or you're a racist, or you're closed-minded, or the Bible is a crutch. And I'd say, yes, it is, because without Jesus, I'm flat on my face. I need Jesus. I need the Bible. It's what's going to hold me up. Nothing else will. Jude says, beware, beware, beware. So Jude has talked about their, their character of these these present apostates, and he's compared their past failures. Now he goes into a recognition of of descriptive dangers. Look at verses 12 and 13 with me. These are spots in your love feasts. He's going to start just rattling these these, uh, descriptions off. Spots in your love feast while they feast with you without fear, serving only themselves. They are clouds without water, carried about by the winds. Late autumn trees... Without fruit, twice dead, pulled up by the roots. Raging waves of the sea, foaming up their own shame. Wandering stars for whom is reserved the blackness of the darkness forever. Jude says, listen, let me go back to the first one. Spots in your love feast. In other words, blemishes. I got this morning and I, was, I got here and I was like, oh, great. I get toothpaste on my shirt. Ah, oh, great. So I'm, I do this and it's like, oh, now there's a wet spot. Can you see it? You can't see it, can you? Yeah. Well, Thanks. <laughs> Now you can't. But do we notice those? It's exactly it. Do we notice their, their blemishes? Also, it can also be translated as hidden rocks or reefs ready to destroy a stronger ship. When the ship's coming in, if they don't see the reef and they hit that thing, well, the reef's not going anywhere. The ship is. That's what Jude says. Listen, these are descriptive dangers of apostates. In fact... Jude even says, and Peter even emphasizes, uh, in 2 Peter chapter 2, verse 13. He says that these also could be acting immorally too. He says, therefore, let's see, First Peter, got to get to the right one. 2 Peter 2, 13. I'll start in verse 12. But these, like natural brute beasts, made, for, made to be caught and destroyed, speak evil of the things they do not understand and will utterly, utterly perish in their own corruption and will receive the wages of unrighteousness as those who count it pleasure 
to carouse in the daytime. They are spots and blemishes carousing in their own deceptions while they feast with you, having eyes full of adultery and that cannot cease from sin, enticing unstable souls. I'm telling you, you read through Second Peter and you will see a broader picture. It's a it's more vivid color. He paints in, in a lot more color than Jude does. So go back and run the comparison. These are spots in your love feast. These are clouds without water. No refreshment for the thirsty soul. I remember we were riding in Fort Wayne just recently. And this has happened a couple times. We take our bikes over and we get out and we're riding along. We go into the center of town, ride north, or we'll ride east or west on, along the waterways. And, and we get up to the north again, up towards, uh, what is it, uh, Indiana Wesleyan? Or no, no, I, uh, IPFW. It's up there. We get all the way up there. And, of course, you look to the west and it's like, ah, oh, great. Looks like there's clouds building. <laughs> and then all of a sudden you feel a drop. It's like, ah, oh, great. Come on, we got to hurry up and get back. So we ride, start riding as fast as we can. I'm looking at the, uh, we're looking up at the sky and I'm thinking, it's going to hit, it's going to hit. We got back there in about, I don't know, 20 minutes. We were pretty quick. We moved pretty quickly along. And we get back and we get our bikes in the car and we get ready to go. We go, went out, we were going somewhere to eat. And it never rained. It's like, oh, come on. And she's like, well, we could have ridden farther. Yeah. So in the same way, these false teachers come in and, and they, they, they look like they're going to bring refreshment. And there's nothing. It's just like, Poof. that was it. Yeah, same thing. Not only that, but they're tre- trees twice dead. Trees twice dead. In other words, no fruit and no root. A great comparison to Psalm chapter 1. It says uh, that the... Uh, being like a tree planted by living water that nourishes that tree. And the leaves are on it for the healing of the nations. And, and, and compared to the trees that, that apostates are. In fact, take a look at this. You've probably seen some of these. These trees that get pulled up by the roots after the storms. And you think, how could a tree that big tumble? You know why? Root system. Twice dead. They go out, they don't go deep. You see, that's why, folks, let me tell you, about 20 years ago, I was up in Goshen, and it was a big thing to have all sorts of of, uh, crazy entertainment and nice short devotionals, and people were going to church left and right. And we saw lots of churches grow by leaps and bounds. And there was one that was near us that had gotten up to about 650, I think it was. They had built the building. They, had, they filled it no time. I haven't checked recently, but it wasn't too long after that they went from about 650 down to 200 and down to 150. And the reason being was they had all the pomp, but no circumstance. They were a mile wide, but only about an inch deep. Because you can only tell people that Jesus loves you so long before Jesus loves you what do I do with that? Well, we don't want to talk about anything else because that's important. And it is. But what's going to hold you when, the, when the, the storms come? Jesus' love is going to hold me, but why do I know that? It's because I know that the God of the universe holds everything in perspective. He's the one that sent Jesus into the world to save me. And I know that the Holy Spirit that, that resides within me is the same Spirit that raised Christ Jesus from the dead. So why do I struggle? Why do I worry? Because 
I haven't really truly believed. And I need to believe. But if I don't know that, then I'm going to go looking somewhere else for an answers. And that's why a lot of those churches rose and they fell. Because there wasn't much more than a shallow understanding of the word of God. Jude says, contend earnestly for the faith. Contend earnestly for the faith. Otherwise, we'll be like these trees. He also says in verses 12 and 13, he says that they are raging waves. Raging waves of the sea. Shameful, boisterous, spewing their teachers' teaching only to find out it is false. When you find out, it's suddenly like, ugh. I was following that. Oh, wait a minute. What? No, wait, 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 wait. Raging waves. Isaiah 57, 20 says, The wicked are like the tossing sea that cannot keep it still. Its waters, its waters toss up mire and mud. You know, here's a good way to really, to really determine as you're watching for apostasy. If, if you're really struggling understanding what they're saying and they're all over the place, it might be they're just stirring up the waters to get it so mucky that you really can't see what's down in there. Think about that. You don't know what's down underneath of there. But it sounds good. So it must be okay. But I can't really understand it. But it sounds good. I was describing to my wife last night. I said, you know, a lot of times what we need to do, as deep as the word of God is, it's like coming up to the... We were in Mediterra- over in the Mediterranean in Italy when we were with ABWE in Norway. We had a conference. And we could stand up and look down. It was probably, I don't know, 60, 80 feet down, maybe 100 feet down to the water. And the water was crystal clear. And you could see to the bottom. It was amazing. And it was deep, too, as it went out further. And you could see rocks. And you could see the reefs and the, and the coral and the, 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 the layout of the, the, the bottom of it. You know, in many ways, the Bible is the same way. You know, many of us come to the edge of that cliff and we look and we say, Oh, wow, that's really deep. But we as pastors, Pastor Josh, Pastor Dan and I, our goal is to try to help you understand and see the depth that's down in there. Because, again, that's important to understand the, the variation down in there, the depth of what God's Word says, and to see the, the, the coral, and to see, see the rocks, and to understand what those, what those doctrines are. And, and then there comes a time when you get excited about it, and you go, you know what? I want to jump in. And, and you jump in to the deep end. And you swim around, and you swim down, and you dig deeper. But you're confident enough to dive in there because you know what's in there. Compared to if it's all stirred up and mucky, you're going to dive into something you can't see what's down there? Ask Johnny Erickson Tyler how that happened, how that worked out for her. Yeah, you know what happened. She hit her head and broke her neck and has been a quadriplegic for 40 plus years now. So beware of false teachers with raging waves that come out, shameful, boisterous, spewing out these teachings. Last but not least, they're wandering stars, shooting stars. In other words, they're bright for a moment, but then they're gone. They look good, but then it's gone. It's kind of like a fireworks. We just went through 4th of July. Poof! And it's gone. These are the same ones. Let me, let me emphasize, too. There are a lot of books out, and, and I mean, I went through, I just kind of took a couple pictures off of uh, off of. Uh, the uh, internet is like, okay, I'm just going to pull up a couple of pages. I, I went to self-helps, and there's things up there like uh, the memory, helping yourself, or, uh, different, different types of self-help. You know, there are a lot of Christian self-help books out there too. But folks, let me tell you, 
they're not going to do what the Word of God can do. They're not going to do for you what the Word of God can do for you. Now, I'm not opposed to a lot of good reading. I love good reading. Just come check my library out, as you've already heard. I've got plenty of books. Some of them are not good reading. Some are reference books that I use to say, look, here, let me show you why this isn't good. Because it doesn't line up with the Word of God. But I also appreciate people's perspectives. But ultimately, all of those are not going to help you understand truly the Word of God like the Holy Spirit will help you understand the Word of God and guide you in truth. Again, I'm not opposed to blogs. I'm not opposed to, uh, to wisdom. But when it comes down to it, if you're spending more time in all these self-help books and you haven't opened your Bible in a while, I think we've got the wrong perspective. I think we've got a wrong understanding. Because the, world, the, the wisdom of man is not going to surpass the wisdom of God. So get in the Word. Get in the Word. Finally, third thing I want to tell you about. Jude says, note to self number three, know the doom of apostasy. Know the doom that's coming. Look at verses 14 and 15. Now Enoch, the seventh from Adam, prophesied about these men also, saying, Behold, the Lord comes with ten thousands of his saints to execute judgment on all, to convict all who are ungodly among them of all their ungodly deeds, which they have committed in an ungodly way, of all the harsh things which ungodly sinners have spoken against him. You know, first and foremost, Jude promises that Jesus is coming back. He says, behold, the Lord comes with 10,000 of his saints to execute judgment on all. You know, Jude was written not more than probably 35 years after Jesus went back into heaven, and already he's talking about Christ's return. And you know what? Christ, the return of Christ was already a, a doctrinal issue that was being attacked. If you go to, uh, to Thessalonians, Paul was telling the church in Thessalonica, listen, don't worry about your, your, your friends that have died. They're going to go to be with Jesus. Don't you remember? And you can look in, in Philippians, or, uh, 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verses 13 to 18. I don't want you to be ignorant, brethren, concerning those who have fallen asleep as if they have no hope or as if you have no hope. The Lord's going to descend with a shout, the voice of the archangel, the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ shall rise. When? First. They got six feet further to go. Then we who are alive and remain will be caught up together. Wherefore, in verse 18, Paul says, wherefore, comfort one another with these words. Do you have confidence? Do you have hope in that? That's the hope we have. Jesus is coming back. He is going to come back. Again, Second Peter says that this has been an ongoing theme. Knowing first in chapter 3, knowing first that scoffers will come in the last days, walking according to their own lusts, saying, Where is the promise of his coming? For since the fathers fell asleep, all things continue as they were from the beginning. All the way since creation. For this, Peter says, they willfully forget that by the word of God, the heavens were of old and the earth standing out of water and in the water, by which the world that then existed perished being flooded with water. And he goes on to talk about the day of judgment and perdition of ungodly men. In fact, that's not only the coming of Christ, but the coming of judgment. Jude says that Jesus is coming to execute judgment, in verse 15, on all, to convict all those who are, and look four times he uses the term, 
ungodly. Do you think he was trying to get a point across? Whenever a writer of scripture keeps using the words over and over and over and over, it's like, are you getting it? I circled all four of mine. To convict all who are ungodly among them of their ungodly deeds, which they have committed in an ungodly way, and harsh things which ungodly sinners have spoken against him. Their verdict is, is set. It's eternal hell. Folks, there are a lot of people in the world today. There are a lot of those that will try to and may try to uh, infiltrate our body. I praise God that, that we don't have that on a regular basis, which I don't think we do. Our men and our women, uh, leaders in our church, Bible studies, 110 groups, um, our, our board, our pastors. We are very careful as we watch people come in because we want you to come. We want people to come to our church. It is a hospital for sinners. So people are going to come in here. They're going to be hurting. That's okay. But what we don't want to do is elevate them so quickly to a point of leadership that they are not ones that we would want to be in leadership because are they with us or are they not among us? That's the danger. That's why the importance of membership. So that we know where you are as believers in Christ. We don't just welcome anyone in. It's not a country club. We don't just welcome any doctrine. We don't welcome any belief. We stand on the word of God that we've been, I've been preaching out of, Josh preaches out of, that Tom has for 30 plus years, that we have as a church stand on. That has to be the foundation. And so as we evaluate and ask for your testimony, where your walk is with Christ, do you know Jesus as your Savior? Have you made a profession of faith? We are a body of believers, but we welcome everyone into our body to fellowship with us to in, and to listen and hear the word of God. But the goal is for you to come to know Christ. Jude says, be careful. Contend for the faith. Contend for the faith. You know, it would be easy if, if we had some alarm system at the door that as they hit the door... Intruder alert, intruder alert, intruder alert. Hey, are you a believer? Apparently not. Grab him over to the side. We've been talking about Jesus Christ because you need to get saved. Oops. You know, how many people would come through those doors? <laughs> of course we don't. I wish, I wish that were the case, um, and, but we don't. And so we can't, uh, we can't be looking at people at the same way. But at the same time, we do have to realize that, that Satan is a deceiver, as I've already mentioned in 2 Corinthians and we need, to be, we need to be wary. We need to be careful. We need to be wise as a body of believers. Loving. Jesus was very loving, but he was also very precise and to the point when it came to the truth of the word of God because he was the word of God. He didn't mince words. He said, this is the truth. He said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father but by me. There are no other options. There are no other ways to get to heaven. There is no other religion that is going to have somebody that's going to come that we're going to get. We're just on another side of the mountain. We're all going the same direction. No, we're not. Christianity is exclusive because and only because of Jesus Christ. Jude has encouraged us emphatically to contend for the faith. And today he's, he's really encouraged us to stay sharp. Because false teaching is creeping in. 
in and around us through our TVs, our radios, our books, our magazines, the internet, everywhere. You're getting bombarded. And the sad part is, is we're, we're suddenly being lulled to sleep by what's out there. Therefore, we need to be sharp. We need to be watchful as false teachers try to show their, show their wares, but they're showing their true colors. It's not going to be easy, but I want to give you, I just want to give you five things real quickly. I'm just going to name them. Five things that, that I believe Jude is calling for, and I believe we need to as well. One is to have a diligent study of God's word. This is the way we're going to shore up our faith, to earnestly contend for the faith. A diligent study of God's word. If you're not in God's word, it's like trying to breathe once a week. Take a big gulp on Sunday, walk out the door, and don't breathe again until next Sunday. You know what's going to happen. You're not going to make it. Spiritually, it's the same way. Second is a a vibrant prayer life. And maybe not even a vibrant prayer life. Maybe just a consistent prayer life. People say, well, I don't don't know what to pray. Just talk to him. Communicate with him. That's all he asks. Talk to Jesus. Talk with him about everything. He's right there. His spirit lives within you. And if you don't know what to say, he does. Romans 8. He makes the intercession for us and we don't know what to say. Making groanings. I don't know what to say. He says, I do. I've got it. Third, a willingness to stand against society's desires to water down the gospel. We have, we have the truth of the word of God. We cannot let this get watered down. We need to stand firm on the word of God. Fourth, a willingness to speak up for the truth. Now, that means speaking the truth in love. It doesn't become, mean becoming belligerent about it. Jesus didn't become belligerent. Oh, he got, he got harsh with the Pharisees because they knew the truth and they should have known what they were doing, but they didn't. But he spoke kindly and gently with those who, didn't, who were lost. We need to be the same way. And finally, a willingness to bear the burden of sharing the timeless truth to a changing society. You see, our world is changing constantly, very, very rapidly. Everything around us is, is on its head. Just listen to the news. No, don't. Actually, maybe that's the best thing. Just pick up the word of God and know this. This is the hope that we have. No, the hope is not in Trump. No, the hope is not in our Congress. We've already seen they've let us down. The hope is not in your husband or your wife. Kids, the hope is not in your mom or dad. They're going to let you down. We all are. It's not in your pastors. We're going to let you down. We're going to fall sometimes. Thank you for Jesus and thank you for grace. But a willingness to to stand in a changing society and stand firmly on the truth. This is a call to action. In other words, to contend earnestly for the faith which was once for all delivered to us all. Let's pray. Father God, guide us in truth. Encourage us as we take the stand to love you, to know you, to share your word, to watch for apostates, the false teachers that are around us. Lord, help our church to be a strong church. Father, guide us in truth. Help us as we go out this week to know your word. To encourage others. To point them to Jesus. 
to let them know that they are loved because of what Jesus did. Father, thank you for Jude. And even though it's a short book, Lord, it is chock full of great wisdom and guidance. Lord, now as we wrap up our service today, go before us, even this week. Encourage us until we meet again. We pray this in Jesus' name.